0: previously on Popping Collars.
1: We have to make a stand for women who really don't have a fair shake, which keeps them subject to the violence and vulnerability of poverty. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as they're going to be poor, that's going to be part of their story. You know, there's that old adage about give a woman a fish, eats for a day, teach her how to fish, feed her for a lifetime. It's like, good God, women have been fishing a long time. We know how to fish. (laughs) You know, that's not that big a deal. Fishing is not that hard.
2: Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. My name is Ricardo Avila. I'm the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. With me is my co-host Greg Knight. Greg, oh, yeah. where are you and what's going on?
0: Hey Ricardo, I am the director of Children and Youth Ministries at the Church of Bethesda by Sea in Palm Beach, Florida, where it is getting chilly. It got down to <laughs> 60 degrees, no. I think. Uh, today. Oh. Ooh, it's a cold out oh, sh- in southern
1: Florida. <laughs>
2: Getting your Santa tan on. No chance of snow. No chance (laughs) of snow. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Also with us is our co-host, Betsy Gonzalez. Betsy, what is happening in your world?
1: Oh, Ricardo, we are – Advent doesn't exist in schools necessarily. Mm -hmm. We have a wreath and stuff. We're just on that slow march towards not only the birth of Jesus – but exams. So Mm -hmm. it is literally a season of preparation (laughs) on all fronts.
2: Right. right. Oh,
1: and where am I doing that? I'm doing that at the Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, where I serve as head chaplain.
2: Nice. Thank you, Betsy. It occurs to me that uh, the arrival of Jesus and final exams both have their apocalyptic elements. (laughs) Oh,
1: definitely. (laughs) Definitely. For sure.
2: (laughs) Very good. Wow. And today we have a special guest, a first-timer to the Popping Collars Woo-hoo! neighborhood, Shayna Watson. Shayna Watson, tell us who you are.
3: I am a deacon. I serve as a deacon with the Episcopal Church here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and soon to become a priest in the next six months. Oh, Yay! congratulations.
1: Congrats. Thank
3: you. Thank you very much. In my former professional life, I'm a board-certified chaplain, And most of my experiences in hospital and hospice chaplaincy, yeah, I found that in chaplaincy and pastoral care, that there's an intersection of justice and um, and advocacy work and all those things just kind of meld together in spirituality. So, which is part of the reason what led me to discovering and learning more about theology, and how it also intersects with pop culture. So, yeah. so I'm just happy to be here with you all.
1: Well, and those of yeah. you all out there who heard us pressing Theocon over, yes, mm-hmm. that was Shana's baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> a great job with it! It was super cool to be a part of, and so I'm just really glad that she was able to come on the show.
2: Wonderful, thank you, Shayna. Uh, So this is episode 97 of Popping Collars. We're closing in on the big 100. (laughs) Slowly but surely. And today's topic is race and pop culture. It's kind of a broad topic, maybe not so light and frothy, but definitely up in American society in ways that are new and yet all too familiar. In the post-Obama era of the past two years, I think it's safe to say that we didn't quite make it to that post-racial promised land that some imagined a black presidency would usher in. Moreover, our current President Trump, who early on referred to Mexicans as rapists and criminals, has recently taken to questioning the intelligence of African-American athletes, journalists, and members of Congress. White supremacists proudly march in our streets once more, and violence against people of color is on the rise. As goes society, so goes pop culture, at least in its desire to address many of these concerns. It seems like more films have come out in the past year that address race. Starting with Get Out in 2017 and exploding with Black Panther early this year, a cavalcade of films has been released that explore racism in America The Hate You Give, Black Klansmen, Sorry to Bother You, Blindspotting, Monsters and Men, and the upcoming If Beale Street Could Talk based on the James Baldwin novel of the same name. Also, books by African-American authors seem more ubiquitous today than ever, at least in their focus on racism. Maybe our discussion can focus on the particular works of art that speak to the African-American experience. But here is my first question for all of you that maybe will get us focused and started on the discussion. What piece of pop culture have you taken in recently that really made you think about the state of racism in America. What about it connected with you and how, and what insights did you get?
3: I would say most recently I indulged in a Netflix series um, called Clever Man. Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't necessarily focus on racism in America, it focuses on racism in Australia, between Aboriginal people and um, people of... European descent. And then Clever Man, it it focuses on a group of people called the hairy people who have extraordinary powers and are darker skinned folk um, with the kinkier hair and things of that nature who are oppressed, who experience police brutality and discrimination, socioeconomic um, depression. So that kind of reminded me of a lot of what we see here in the U.S. and it Mm-hmm. in a very strange way. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just a reminder that that type of racism doesn't just occur here, but it is it is worldwide. Thank you, Sheena. So, Greg, what about you?
0: Uh, you know, it's funny, because uh, the first thing that popped into my head was Sorry to Bother You, and it's hard to describe. If you haven't seen that movie, there's a particular scene that's just, like... Oh my gosh, like you sort of viscerally feel like what LaKeith Stanfield uh how he experiences racism in that movie and it's it's when he's at this all white party um and it's being hosted by Army Hammer. It's being hosted by Army Hammer this party and he makes uh LaKeith Stanfield rap in the middle of the party. It's um exactly kind of like what uh y- you need that scene to be, which is ridiculous and hateful and a little funny and um and all of these different emotions all at once to just kind of make you feel like what is happening? But can I do two? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah.
3: Sorry, Ricardo, I'm I mean like,
1: sorry, Greg, not sorry. Seth, you just go you just go with your white male straight privilege. Yep, straight white male straight you go I'm right sorry. ahead, sweetie. Playing, yeah, I mean, just kind of. Let me just kind <laughs> of spread out,
0: out here, <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Can you really explain it to me? Because I yeah. think I don't understand what you're I'm saying.
0: S- I'm sorry. Let's see. I'm going to mute you, Betsy, so that I can. Uh, okay. Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> okay. All right, Betsy. What do you think?
1: I have not seen the movie for Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give, but I read the book this summer. You know, we working at a preparatory school prep school with a long history here and having worked with a number of students black students from different parts of the country more urban areas you know different areas of the of the of the country um, actually more rural areas too but just that their experience of code switching when they come here to a place like a and the way the pressures in which you try to fit in the ways you kind of craft yourself for this space which is different than how you would craft yourself at home through the character of star in that book and kind of this also that teenage just this time of awakening and i think for all of our many of our students here whether they are students of color or not there is a time when you get to boarding school and it's like how do i fit in how am i going to kind of be like everybody else how do i buy the vineyard vines clothes how do i kind of hang in this environment? What do people value here? What's the language we use here? And all those things. And that then you have to start contrasting that with how your, how your family is and how your friends from home are. And, and when they call you out on, on the fact that you seem different, you don't seem happy, what's going on. And then starts this other cycle of awakening and kind of, well, who am I? And what am I owning about myself? What am I owning about where I come from? And, and a number of students, that story does not It is not a story that gets old, nor is it a story that is old or is a story that is changing. So that that would be mine from the past year. What about you, Ricardo?
2: Betsy, you took mine away from me. Stop it. But I'll say.
1: (laughs) You say your thing then. What what did it mean to you?
2: Right, right. So, well, but being the other man on the panel, I have two as well. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh Uh-oh. Dana. Uh
2: Here we go. Uh, Well...
1: (laughs) Well, number two then.
2: It made me think of when I saw Hotel Rwanda years ago. Uh, I was in a movie theater, and, you know, it's about the, the genocide in Rwanda. And um watched the whole movie, and it's very intense. And I was in the movie theater, and afterwards, the credits are rolling, and I started sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> it was really kind of embarrassing. My friends had to kind of escort me out of the theater. And what struck me was I I, I kept thinking – they wear the same t-shirts we do. They wear the same clothes we do. Like, I don't know if I'm explaining myself, but that thing of like, we are all people. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like the whole all lives matter thing. That's a whole other thing. It's easier to put people in a box when you think of them as other than you.
3: I just want to note, you had just said how you're kind of drawn to to reading some of the um, books and watching some of the movies. And I find myself on the opposite end of the spectrum, especially over the course of the past year, because um, as a woman of color, it's absolutely a lived experience, Um, not even... A month and a half ago in my own neighborhood, I was called to a scene where there was a domestic violence situation and it ended with a police officer shooting a young Latino man and people were gathering. So there were those of us who were called to help de-escalate the crowds that were gathering and the militarization of the police. So I, I, I don't find myself as much as I once was. I think the last movie that I've seen with all Black actors was probably Black Panther. Um, that was like the, the last movie of color that, um, that I really wanted to go see. But um, I definitely support a lot of the movies and the films that are coming out now, the books. I definitely support authors of color. Pop culture is a really great medium to demonstrate or exhibit what we experience in reality. I mean, some of my pop culture references are a little bit more old school, but I think about like Star Trek and the controversial um, interracial kiss between Captain Kirk and Uhura, you know, so it's removed enough and it's um, clothed in science fiction enough that it's like a little distant so we can actually see it and say, oh, okay, that's a possibility or is it really?
1: I think actually, the piece of media that I consumed it was the Tanahashi Coates book that just blew it open between the world and me. The listeners of the show know that you know when I say that I read the Hate you give this summer, I listen to the hate you give because I love audiobooks and I just because right. i'm I, also, I just love hearing stories told in a voice, and he reads it and it and, and it's short enough that like I kind of consumed it, binged it essentially on a road trip, the element of my body is not my own and Mm -hmm. the world communicates to me that I can do anything to your body Mm
0: -hmm. whenever I want to. Yeah.
1: And that, that is what has stuck with me. It is what has led me in different directions biblically. Mm -hmm. When I look at the Jesus message and who he was talking to and the people who felt the same way, you know, your body is not your own Mm -hmm. and I'm a Roman soldier and I can do whatever I want to, to you, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can do these little resistance things, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, you want me to carry your pack? I'll carry your pack for a mile. I'll carry it for another mile too. And then you'll get chewed out by your officer, you know, or, you know, you want to tax me for everything I have. Well tax me for the cloak off my back because it's more culturally embarrassing for you to see me naked than for me to be naked in front of you, like those Walter Wink, the powers that be, like it took me right mm-hmm. back into that. There was a part of me that connected to some of that as a woman, mm-hmm. and and the messages that I get that my body really that, but I'm I'm protected somewhat by the collar I wear or the, you know, my outer candy coating shell, my whiteness, and and uh, and to really have him just plain and lay it out for me. And I was like, I understand that. And that is terrifying. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think, you know, your premise for the show, Ricardo, speaks to a lot of this because there's these subtle reinforcements of exactly what you're talking about, Betsy. Right. right? And where we see a lot of those are in sports and professional sports, uh, specifically where you have white owners of basketball teams, football teams, uh, and then predominantly black athletes uh, that play on those teams. Um, and then you have situations like the president of the United States or people uh, with uh, voices on cable news or something like that telling black athletes what they can and can't do, what they right. can and can't talk about. Even, you know, it's, it's this idea of like um, you are a paid body for my entertainment. And therefore, you can't express your opinions, right? Um, and that's something that, I mean, the, the president said it out right, right? You know, wouldn't you like to tell one of these SOBs, you know, get the heck off of my field? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's this idea that, yeah, they're not people. They are mm-hmm. a commodity uh, for us to be entertained by. Yeah. And well, that's so- something that's pervasive in our but society.
2: Why, why is it a zero sum game? I mean, I, I, I guess duh, because it's always been, especially in this country with, with slavery, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the, the, the way to get, the way to feel like you're the master is to have the slave or something, but it's like, Oh my God, they're going to like take over. And I'm going to what lose my family, lose my job, become enslaved myself. I don't, I don't know what, I mean, whatever, that's a bigger question, but, um, it just doesn't make sense to me like
3: it's it's a it's a heavy and deep and complex conversation. I know we talked a lot about black authors that talked about racism and their experiences with it, and part of what I shared with you all before was a panel that I did I guess it would be almost three years ago now. It was called From Blackface to Black Panther, The Evolution of How People of Color Were Depicted in Arts and Entertainment from 1830s to the Present, which talked about menstrualcy, um, blackface minstrelsy, in the United States of America and how that kind of evolved into film. Like you always saw black people mostly and then later on other um, non-white actors would always be depicted as either docile or the savage or beast. And then you further see that in some of the cartoons when you see Tom and Jerry, we will normally see the bottom half of the women of the house. Whenever the Black woman would come out, she was depicted as the Aunt Jemima wearing the Mm -hmm. the slippers and the apron. And the white woman, woman, when she would come out, she would have like the the dainty heels on and be um, depicted as kind of... um, more sophisticated and ladylike and classy. And so we continue to see those reinforced images. Um, especially after the film, I guess it was 1913. It was like the first film shown in the White House. Mm-hmm. It was Birth of a Nation, which was yeah. supposedly used as a um, KKK recruiting video and supposedly still used today. I don't know. I haven't gone to a meeting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not lately. You know, just, just have, yeah. <laughs> so like all of that, that continues to... Um, infiltrate the industry. I mean, I I see the resistance now, and I'm thankful for it, um, especially in some of the comic books that we see, um, The Birth of Black Panther in the late 60s, early 70s, and um, how that aligned with a lot of the civil rights movements that were taking place in the U.S. I mean, I'm just so thankful and appreciative of people who were waking up to those social justice um, changes that were that were happening in our nation, and making sure that it was realized in film.
0: I mean, it is interesting that you bring up the comics world. You know, when you were talking, Ricardo, and you were like, "What? Like, what is at stake for people?" Comics for the last ten years or so has, you know, at least Marvel anyway, has made a conscious effort to develop more and more diverse characters in sort of their major roles, right? So Miles Morales is Spider-Man. Like it's not Peter Parker. Yes. Miles Morales is Spider-Man. Um, and I'm so happy that his movie is coming out this week, I think, right? Um, into the Spider-Verse is the Miles yeah. Morales uh, Spider-Man movie coming out. So Marvel's made this push. And every time Marvel makes a push and changes the character, all of a sudden there's this giant push back from the from sort of comic book collecting community, saying, like, don't mess with my thing. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And it's like, you just sort of sit there and you scream at this community, like, what's at stake for you? Spider-Man is a fictional character. Right. <laughs> like, what's right. at stake for you? But for right. some people, it's identity. It's, it's everything is sort of bound up in this right. character being who it was that they've always known it to be for their entire lives. And that's, that's a sickness.
1: You know, I just saw a a post that I showed to a student on dorm the other night that said it was last week. It was last Thursday. The Berlin wall had now been down the same amount of time that the Berlin wall had stood. So Mm -hmm. we've now entered a time when the, when the Berlin wall has not existed longer than Mm -hmm. it stood. Right. And and she's the student then said, Well, you know, it's going to take us 200 more years to get to a point when we have black Americans who have lived longer, not enslaved, than enslaved. I mean, mm-hmm. Longer than that. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, you know, 300 years, 400 years.
3: A mentor of mine said, as long as you have lived in this country, no person will escape unscathed by racism, sexism, heterosexism, xenophobism, and the isms go on. However, it's about how we covenant with one another in love, that we can tell one another, like, you offended me, or ouch, that hurt, and that we can open our hearts and our minds and just gain a better understanding of how to love each other better. It's It's tough work and it's not for the faint of heart that's for sure but but i believe that i believe that more people want to be better than those who kind of just want to stay in their silos of hatred so yeah so that gives me hope
2: uh we've come to the point in the show where i have a list of things to Uh, say
1: oh
2: All right. Shayna, this happens every time. It's
1: it's bullet points. It's just going to go by Shayna. Like, it just, you know, it's going to be fine. He's not going to remember all of them. I'm just going to name you.
2: You know, okay, so that is usually true, but I wrote them down this time. Yes,
1: yes, you wrote them down. Well, (laughs) that
2: might not be a good thing. You know, I was saying earlier, it's like, why can't people just be happy for other people? So now I kind of want to say, duh, <laughs> it's about our identity, right? It's yeah. it's so ingrained in us to have fear or you know anger or hatred towards other people in, in in American culture. I mean, obviously we can step out of it. Obviously there are exceptions, but I I do honestly think that it's it's so it's so deep and unconscious. So you know, a little bit like what was i thinking but still it just doesn't make sense i would just wanted to say that you know we're talking about is there are there more movies and books out there now than than before and we said you know maybe maybe not but maybe this is a way of dealing with it and processing it out more, more out in the open you know there didn't be, used to be video recordings before rodney king of this stuff and it Probably happened maybe almost as much, if not more, so now it 's more of a reckoning, and maybe these movies and these books and these memoirs are saying, "Look, these are the stories now let's let 's have it let 's have it in the center of pop culture and the center of you know literary culture and 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 have it be part of the story and the narrative of our country so that 's a good thing, I think w- whether or not it 's more than before I, I it feels like more to me wow. and then the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, base. I think all I want to say is, you know, so I'm Latino, I'm the son of immigrants from Mexico, but I grew up really assimilated. And that was my, it's like, you know, I, wa- I was in Wisconsin and I want to be like my friends. And there was kind of embarrassment and shame about my background because we lived on the poorer side of town. But so now I am the rector of, of an Episcopal Church, first of all, I can stop right there, I'm the Latino <laughs> rector of an Episcopal Church, that's pretty rare, and they hired me, and whenever I bring it up with them, um, they don't even get uncomfortable, they're just looking like, well, you're a you're rector, you're Ricardo, Now I'm not saying, good for them, they saw fit to hire me, I'm just saying, I don't know, maybe that's a good sign, maybe that's a positive sign, and I don't think about it too much, I forget that I'm Latino in general, often because <laughs> um, that's how I am you know that's just how it is but um, they never seem to um, they never seem to focus on it and I don't know maybe I'll do a a, a teaching series on race and see what happens sometime but um, <laughs> it feels it feels good
3: I suppose it feels good yeah 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 hey At the store, people it. I it this far but I'm row, row. everybody Criticized and they hated on me, but I just stayed strong, and no matter what I heard them tell me, it didn't change my mind, I'm still pushing hard
0: the record always giving
3: out effort night I'm always restless. this music's a life my craft to
2: the part the of bed. our episode where we have a staff pick and you know what a staff pick is I don't need to explain it so let's just get to it Betsy. What is your staff today?
1: Oh, Ricardo. It is Michelle Obama's book Becoming. Uh, and again, I listened to this book because I was given the option of 19 hours or whatever of Michelle Obama talking to me. And the answer is yes. You say yes to that opportunity <laughs> happening in your life. And I'm, I'm blessed in boarding schools. We get a week off for Thanksgiving because these children need to need to go home and see their parents, and go home. And I, you know, we we drove a bit for Thanksgiving, and there was this moment where, like, I had kind of started, I downloaded it, I'd started to listen to it while I packed, I'd kind of gotten to a certain point in the book, and... And Ruby kept saying to me, when's Obama showing up? When's Obama showing up? I'm like, chill, cool your jets. Like (laughs) she had a whole life going on. before (laughs) Barack Obama showed up. So why just don't hang your hat on that? But he finally did kind of show up. So I paused the book. I actually listened further backtrack and we got into the car to drive about three hours to where we were going. And I said, "I, I saved it. Obama shows up now. She's like, okay, great. Like, two hours later in the car, Ruby, my 11-year-old, is like, why am I still listening to this book? It's so good. And loved it and loved her storytelling and loved how she talked about being a woman and talked about Mm -hmm. being a girl growing up on the south side of Chicago and what that meant. and, And the message to me, the parts that were the most heartening were around going into the 2016 election and kind of how she processed that as a mom, as a person in the position she was in. And it reminded me of that, that Martin Luther King jr quote of, you know, the arc of history is long and it bends towards justice and that idea Mm -hmm. of like, we are, we can be as Americans two step forward, one step back and that if I look at American culture and I look at American history, that's all true too, and it's been true for a really long time and the disheartening nature of not being further along that arc
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and how she's processed that as a person and it's just it's a uh, it's in a it's a wonderful walk through years of our country a wonderful walk through the pop culture too she's a huge music fan you know she's a she's you know to have stevie wonder sing for her and barack to you know dance at an inaugural ball really feeling the weight of that is the weight of her grandfather and the weight of these other people uh she's she tells it well and i'm actually really excited where things go from here
2: nice Becoming by Michelle Obama. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can also find us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and just about anywhere else that is going before Congress to explain itself these days. (laughs) I had to say it. That was a good one. Just just type in Popping Collars in the search bar. Greg, do we still have T-shirts? Oh, uh, no.
0: Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) You were looking for a stocking stuffer. (laughs) No such luck. (laughs) That
2: t shirt is now a collector's item, and you missed out, people. Okay. Finally, you can find find our show and lots of other wonderful Episcopal podcasts on EpiscopalCafe.com. We adore EpiscopalCafe.com, and we know you will as well. Check them out for all of your Episcopal news needs you never knew you needed. (laughs) <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Sorry. And on that note, this has been Popping Collars. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Shayna, for coming on the show. We will see you next time. And
1: keep those collars popped.